Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Great question posed to us on the text line, Taylor, during that break from the 724, which happens to be a Pittsburgh area code. Hopefully you're you're staying safe this weekend out there, 724. But they want to know, uh, they're, they're in the market for a custom Kraken jersey purchase. They want to get number 16, Cali Yarncroak's jersey, but they want to customize it to say Boy Boy Cali, which, as we all know, is Marshawn Lynch's introduction of Cali Yarncroak during the expansion draft. They were wondering if that would be a good enough purchase, and I cannot think of a better custom jersey to have as a Kraken fan. I, I, Taylor, I, I feel like you're in the in the same boat. Oh, I love it. I love the creativity. I love that it's it's very much Seattle. We love Marshawn and everything Marshawn, and the people who love the Kraken and were watching that expansion draft very much a part of the start of this franchise are going to love and respect that jersey for many years to come. So I love the boy boy Cali. Love that that jersey idea. So if you if you have a custom jersey or are thinking about a custom uh, Kraken sweater, if you want to call it a sweater or a jersey, uh, 206-421-3776. Text in your ideas. Absolutely. Uh, college football Saturday, just taking a look around the world of college football you got florida lsu with a tight one 42 35 the tigers are up on the gators in the fourth quarter you've also got cincinnati blowing out ucf number three cincinnati that's a surprise to a lot of people there 42 14 uh but in the pac 12 last night you had some uh, action there between oregon and cal the ducks sneaking by 24 17 their playoff chances took a severe hit last uh, week when they lost to Stanford. Taylor, you look at the Ducks right now, just sneaking by Cal, and they needed two scores in that fourth quarter to overcome the Golden Bears. I I just I don't get the vibe anymore that the Pac-12 is going to have a team in the college football playoff unless a lot of teams start losing here. And, and there's a lot of teams right now that don't look like there's going to be an L heading their way. Yeah, it's going to take some true chaos for a Pac-12 team, I think, to make it. So, you know, at this point, just don't fall out of the Rose Bowl. You know what I mean? Don't be an embarrassment to where they have to go and get someone else. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I'm feeling about this team. I apologize to Oregon fans because it it appears as though as soon as I jumped on the bandwagon, uh, the the <laughs> wheels popped off. So I guess I was a little too heavy and uh, that that one's on me. I'll take the L. I'll take the L on that one. Yeah, boy. I think everybody, uh, once they once Oregon came away with that victory against Ohio State, they bought a little too much stock in the Ducks. So you can never trust the Ducks. That's just something that we've learned here in the Pac-12 over the course of, of centuries of football. Uh, speaking of Pac-12 football, a couple of big games here in the state of Washington. You've got UCLA taking on the Huskies. That game gets going at 530 on Fox. Uh, a tough, tough opponent. UCLA has been one of the better teams in the Pac-12 uh, for the better part of this season. They got that win against LSU to start the season. Uh, they slipped up a couple of times there, but their rushing attack, the Bruins, they really can get it going. And the Huskies, they struggle stopping the run. Yeah, and uh, the Huskies are favored in this game, which was surprising to me. But, uh, yeah, UCLA has been one of those teams, again, 
some high highs and some low lows. It feels like it's the story of every Pac-12 team this season. And they've shown glimpses of greatness, and then they shoot back down to earth in some reality. But, uh, yeah, the the dogs need to figure something out there offensively, and Jimmy Lake uh, needs to figure out what's going there, going down on Mont Lake, or else uh, things are going to get weird there pretty quickly. Yeah, and then also – in the world of college football here in the state of Washington, Cougs taking on Stanford. The game itself, kind of a footnote to what what could happen over the next couple of days regarding Nick Rolovich's future employment as Washington State head coach. Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports on their pregame show today had mentioned that Washington State has some contingency plans in place if Rolovich uh, does not get his religious exemption passed or uh, if it does, there are some other steps even after that, that would need to happen in order for Olvich to continue coaching. So there is still plenty of question marks there. Taylor, you being the Coug, I imagine the, the thing that is on the forefront of a lot of Coug's minds is like, just get this over with one way or another. Yes, 100% yes. That is just how I, – I don't want to speak for other Coug fans. I'll just speak for myself here in this situation, but that's 100% how I feel. I felt like it's been a massive distraction to this team that's shown, again, glimpses of being good and and showing some, some true rhythm. And Max Borgie has shown some flashes of being a, the great player we thought he would be. And we've seen amazing, spectacular catches from receivers and – and it just feels like we're still spending all this time talking about this and the coach, and it just feels like nothing but taking away from the players who have been busting their butts out there on the Palouse and trying to win and trying to build the program for themselves and for the coach, whoever the coach may be. So uh, I, I just hope whatever the resolution is, we get it quickly so that this team and this the the I wouldn't want the university can get back on track because uh, they've fallen behind in recruiting, fallen behind in a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to get this in the rear view mirror as quick as possible. With that being said, let's get to this hour's big three. Number one. Well, from one fun one to another is uh, we're talking NBA. We're talking Kyrie Irving, who also is uh, not into getting the vaccine and the vaccine mandate that is happening currently in the state of New York. So as the Brooklyn Nets prepare for a championship run, it appears as though they might be doing it for uh, without Kyrie Irving this season. As he appears to be doing what's best for him, as he stated in his Instagram live video about COVID-19 and the vaccine. The Nets decided Tuesday that Irving would not be a part of the team and is not eligible to play in home games due to the mandate. So on his Instagram Live, he talked about how much he loved basketball. He wasn't going to retire. He was still going to work with the Nets to figure this out. But again, as the Nets, who were one of the favorites and one of the teams looking to dominate this NBA season, they're talking about something off the court and not their play on the court. So... For the Nets, they're going to have to wait and see what will happen with their star player. But again, NBA preseason action underway now. And uh, hey, NBA, just be sure you're watching next Saturday when the Kraken take the ice. Number two. In baseball, the American League and National League Championship Series are set. And it wasn't without controversy on either side of the playoffs. You had the Red Sox benefiting from a ticky-tack ground rule double call ruling that 
allowed them to eventually take a series lead against Tampa Bay, a series in which they ultimately won. As for the National League, the Dodgers advanced, thanks in large part to a missed strike three call and a check swing from San Francisco's Wilmer Flores. Now, who's to say Flores wouldn't have struck out on the very next pitch? He was going into that game 0 for 17 career against Max Scherzer, but what if he didn't? What if he put the ball in play, kept that inning alive for the Giants? What if he had a home run? We'll never know, unfortunately, and that's just the the worst part of it. The pairings in each series aren't exactly fresh blood on either scene. Houston taking a one nothing lead on Boston last night, while the National League Championship Series, a rematch of last year's featuring those Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. That series gets going later today, and Game 2 of the Astros and Red Sox will also be played later on here on Saturday. Number 3. Well, big thanks to Curtis for leaving me all the fun stories of the week. But Raiders coach John Gruden resigns after homophobic and misogynistic emails were leaked to the New York Times. He uh, casually threw around some language and disparaging emails to people within the league, with outside of the league, female refs, all the like. No one was safe. And in a statement he put out on Twitter, he said, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, said in a statement that he accepted the resignation of Gruden. There currently, and keyword here appears to be currently, appears to be no other fallout from this situation, but the NFLPA has still asked to see copies of all of these emails. And who knows what this may lead to in, in regards to the relationship between the NFLPA, the owners, and everyone else in between. So buckle up. This could get fun in the NFL. It's just bizarre to me that 650,000 emails that they have scoured over and have looked through, that John Gruden is the only person that has said anything bad uh, and to me, I, I have a hard time believing that he is the only person guilty of anything in all of this. Uh, the NFLPA, I think, is doing the right thing in pressuring the league to hand over these emails because, look, there there are going to be people in the league that feel like they may have gotten away with, with something here. I, I imagine Dan Snyder is, is somebody like that or somebody close to Dan Snyder because, look, this investigation centered around the Washington football team the NFL would not have investigated if they didn't think there was reason to. So to me, I just, I think there needs to be more fallout than just John Gruden getting fired. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not calling for the heads of people, but I'm calling for just to lift the veil on this whole thing, because having one fall guy for 650,000 emails uh, just, doesn't sit well with me yeah i know you're supposed to have the bag man i know that's the big advice you gotta have the fall guy the bag man you know we've heard that advice from athletes before but uh yeah this one's a little fishy like you said curtis like it's just gruden you mean dan snyder who's been doing all this dirty stuff we've heard about before didn't do anything weird in any of those emails like come on you know that's not true we're not big, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists here on Seattle Sports Saturday, but uh, 
it appears where there is uh, smoke, there is some fire. So uh, might want to investigate. Might want to do that. When we return here on Seattle Sports Saturday, let's take a trip around the NFL ahead of week six, taking a look at some of the biggest headlines in the league, including one big trade made in the NFC West yesterday. That is all coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. About 15 minutes from now, we will continue to dive deeper into this Seahawks-Steelers matchup, which will be on Sunday Night Football tomorrow night. You can hear that right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But before we do that, let's take a look at the rest of the NFL as we're just about we're a little less than 24 hours away from kickoff tomorrow for the week six slate of games and taylor the only undefeated team left is those five and zero arizona cardinals they seem to be the busiest team this week uh, making some trades and also dealing with uh, some pretty serious covid cases let's start with the trade yesterday them acquiring tight end zach ertz from the philadelphia eagles ertz not eligible to play on sunday since he already played on thursday night football with philadelphia but Seeing that trade, another weapon for Kyler Murray, but do you think Zach Ertz has something left in that tank of his to be a difference maker on this Cardinals team? I tell you what, Curtis, he has enough that the defense does still have to take him seriously, and whether you're the Seahawks defense or another NFC West team, look, it's just another weapon on this team that appears to be rolling, and it found its rhythm, found that next step in in its drive. It was, I said it at the start of the season, it was my biggest fear is that the Cardinals figured it out, and they seem to have figured it out. Um, so getting Ertz on Arizona, uh, I think, is a big coup for them. Look, they want to make a run of things and, and capitalize on this, but uh, for the other teams in the, in the division, mainly us, yikes. Yeah, I mean, just another weapon added to that arsenal in Arizona. I mean, Chase Edmonds has been great at running back. DeAndre Hopkins, his resume speaks for itself. A.J. Green has shown he's still got some life left in him. Uh, You don't want the Cardinals getting any better, and I don't think they got any worse this week by adding Zach Ertz, but maybe they got a little worse after the news of Cliff Kingsbury, head coach, will be forced to miss Sunday's game after testing positive for COVID. Now, there is a precedent for head coaches missing games because of COVID. We saw in the playoffs last year, Kevin Stefanski missed the Browns wildcard game against Pittsburgh. That didn't hold them back. They pulled off the upset against the Steelers. And now you've got Cliff Kingsbury out for Sunday's game against the Browns, against Kevin Stefanski's Browns. Kind of weird how that comes full circle, but... What do you think the impact will be with Cliff Kingsbury not allowed on the sideline, not really allowed to call plays because he won't be in the building? I mean, just a, a unfortunate set of circumstances that the Cardinals will be facing. But also here in Seattle, you don't mind seeing a team like the Cardinals maybe have to deal with a little bit of adversity. Yeah, I mean, you hope that this is going to set them back a little bit. But uh, look, these guys are professionals. They get paid the big bucks to go out there and play. And whether it's Kingsbury or someone else in the headset, these guys know what they need to do to go out there and win. And Browns, it won't be easy against the Browns. But uh, Seattle fans, my my Seattle fan hat, I really want them to be affected. But uh, my analytical hat says it, it won't be too big of an impact if it's just this week. If it, if it carries on, then, yeah, we might see an impact. But for now, I'm going to say no. 
Yeah, Cardinals with that tough road game against Cleveland. I I I have a hard time seeing Arizona escaping that one six and zero. I mean, Cleveland's three and two. They've been up and down this season, but I think that stadium has become one of the tougher ones to win in for road teams. And Cleveland has a lot of talent on that roster. Heck, Malik McDowell now is getting after it on that defensive line. In addition to all the pieces they already have with like Miles Garrett and Genevieve Clowney. I mean, look, that Browns team has so much talent. I think they they'll have enough to win out on on Sunday against Arizona. Yeah, I think so too. And even despite not having Odell Beckham really playing like the the OBJ we're used to, the Browns are finding ways to win. And that defensive front, oh boy, they get after it. They go after the QB with with pressure. So um, yeah, I I agree with you. I, I think the Browns have a shot to win this one. But uh, if they don't, the Cardinals can keep this run going for a couple more weeks. Sticking in the state of Ohio, the Cincinnati Bengals have claimed former Seahawks cornerback Trey Flowers off of waivers. They will assume the remainder of his salary for the 2021 season. Taylor, when you look at Trey Flowers and, and just the his career here in Seattle, Started off promising, being a fifth-round pick, and was basically a day-one starter as a rookie. But unfortunately, he just he never got better. Do you think him? Do you think it was time for a change of scenery for him? Yeah, it, it definitely was. Things weren't working out here in Seattle, and it's no disrespect to him. Uh, again, personally, I, I tweeted about Trey Flowers. We had a great experience uh, playing video games together during the old Hawks Live gaming. So personally, I thought he was a great person. But uh, yeah, it just wasn't working out on the field for whatever reason. And sometimes all it takes is just that change of scenery to really reignite a player and uh you know, hopefully he can do that in Cincinnati. I think we're all rooting for him. One, because it's the AFC, so we don't have to see him. And two, because, again, I think a lot of us uh, got got to know Trey as, as being one of uh, the nicer, not that they're mean, but one of the nicer people to interview and be around on the Seahawks team. Absolutely, and I'm pretty sure Trey Flowers will hold the mantle for as long as possible of cutest baby of any Seahawk player of all time. I believe uh, yeah. Bailey is his daughter's name. What an adorable kid she is. Uh, I always think back to that picture of her at training camp wearing her dad's helmet as he's coming yeah. out the field. Uh, yeah, Bailey Flowers, uh, a legend here in Seattle. Baby uh, of the year. I, I Look, as somebody that has a candidate in that race, Bailey Flowers <laughs> is, is already, uh, you know, She's got. She's built herself quite the lead. Um, another headline here in the NFL, one of the more disappointing teams, I think, to start the season would be the Miami Dolphins, who came into this year with a lot of expectations, winning double-digit games a year ago. They're off to a 1-4 and four start. Haven't been helped out a ton by Tua Tungueloa's injury, having to start Jacoby Brissett in his place. Well, they get Tua back this week, which could give them a, a nice little a nice little security blanket to maybe right their ship. But when you look at, at disappointing teams, Taylor, in the NFL this season, I mean, yeah, injuries, they, they play their role. But is Miami, in your eyes, the biggest disappointment to start this year? I mean, Kansas City, they're up there two at two and three. There are a couple other teams out there that, that could also be in that conversation. 
Yeah, it feels like Miami's a little bit different. Kansas City, you, you know they still have the players and the coaching and, and the ability to get it done, and it feels like they could string together a, a big series of wins here, really at any moment, with Patrick Mahomes behind center. But, yeah, this Miami team was sort of thought to be competing, really, with the Bills and, and be a little bit more competitive in that race and really over New England, which was going to be a, a stunner for a lot of people. But, yeah, it, it, Miami, it, it's been confusing. It, it feels like some weeks they know how to use their players in the right way, and sometimes they mismanagement. I mismanage it. You know, Miles Gaskin getting two carries against the Colts and then 13 against the Raiders just feels off. Shouldn't, doesn't feel right in the math. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think Miami's holding that title of um, – the biggest disappointment so far in 2021. One player being activated off IR. There'd be two of one star going back on to IR. It's unfortunate. Christian McCaffrey, uh, Panthers running back. He'll go on to IR. That was announced this morning. Get a load of this. Since he signed that four-year $64 million extension prior to the 2020 season, he has missed 16 of a possible 22 starts. And that's not accounting for the next three games at least that he'll miss. Uh, you hate to see it. I mean, he's 25 years old, so he still has, I think, a, at least a few years left in him, hopefully. But, man, when a super-duper star like him misses this much time, you hate to see it, not just for Panthers fans, but really NFL fans in general. I mean, he had that incredible season a couple years ago where he finished with a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving. You rarely see that. I think Marshall Falk is like the only other player to do that in NFL history. Uh, you hope that maybe he wasn't used too much back then and he's breaking down, but you want to see guys like that back in lineups. Uh, you hope that this is just a, a little, a little pause in his career and that he can come back even stronger. Yeah, we've seen players sort of bounce back from these injuries before, but man, just as a fan of the NFL, as a fan of the game of football, not having Christian McCaffrey out there, it's not a win for anyone, even though, yes, they play in the NFC, but look, you want to have the stars out there, you want to beat the best at their best, you know what I mean? And to, to see them lose a player like this, it, it hurts the franchise, obviously, uh, a team that looked to be on the rise. So unfortunate for them. But, uh, yeah, hoping he can uh, bounce back from this at some point soon. Those are some of the biggest headlines in the NFL going into week six. When we return here on Seattle Sports Saturday, Seahawks, Steelers, Sunday night football. We'll give you our predictions as to what we think is going to go down. Also, we need your shout-outs to the Mac and Jacks text line, 206-421-3776. That's all coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. I think an underrated headline this week was Al Michaels of Sunday Night Football saying that, you know what? I'm taking this week off. Mike Tirico, you have the play-by-play for this one because a couple of two and three teams going up against each other. Geno Smith, not necessarily the star power that Russell Wilson is. Uh, I would imagine Sunday Night Football kind of hoping they could flex out of this one, but it's too early in the season for that. Now you got you got to wear this one, NBC, uh, even though you'll still win the ratings on Sunday night, obviously. It, it's the NFL. It's always going to reign supreme over anything else on TV, but... Uh, Taylor, 
Al Michaels getting out of this one, but none of us can. Uh, we we cannot say the same. But the Seahawks and Steelers, a couple of organizations that are in a weird spot where the Steelers last year got off to that great start, 11-0, and and then absolutely faltered at the end of the season. I believe they lost five of their last six games uh, to finish off and lose in the wild card round. The Seahawks right now two and three, maybe entering into a period of, you know, some some franchise uncertainty with a lot of guys. Russell Wilson being out for three weeks. I mean, that obviously is going to be a difficult thing for any franchise to uh, go through, especially when you have not had anybody else take snaps really for the better part of a decade. You look at this this matchup. Uh, what what matchup specifically? Are you most looking forward to watching on Sunday when it comes to the Seahawks and Steelers? Well, I mentioned it earlier. I'd love to see the Jamal Adams versus Ben Roethlisberger be sort of the uh, <laughs> the big matchup to watch. But to me, I think I'm going to look at Najee Harris versus this defensive front and whether or not they can stop him from sort of controlling the pace of this game and whether or not he can keep that clock rolling keep the ball in Big Ben's hands and keep it in the Steelers' uh, offense's hands and keep that defense on the field getting tired, that's a recipe for disaster. So to me, can this defensive front stop Najee Harris from getting to that second, third level of this defense and really preventing um, Pittsburgh from controlling the game? I think that's going to be a big-time key. What about you? Yeah, boy, Najee Harris, that is a guy who you absolutely have to account for at all times on the field because not only is he a weapon in the run game, but he's also a weapon in the pass game too. Uh, Boy, that that is somebody that I'm not looking forward to having the Seahawks play against Sunday. Luckily, if he remains in Pittsburgh for the duration of his career, they'll probably only have to play him once every four years or so, which, hey, I don't mind that. Um, to me, it is going to be the Seahawks secondary going up against the passing attack of the Steelers. Now, Big Ben is not the quarterback that he used to be, uh, throwing a lot of ducks out there. There's going to be opportunities for some interceptions, I think, for this Seahawks defense. Now, whether or not they can capitalize on them and and generate those turnovers, that's going to be on them. But I'm definitely going to be watching how this team defends Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, two guys who are really good. They're also young players in this league, guys who are going to be around for quite a while. Uh, To me, that is the matchup I'm going to be watching for on Sunday night as the Seahawks look to keep the Steelers at bay offensively and then hopefully they can generate some offense going up against that Steelers defense that has some playmakers obviously TJ Watt being chief among them on the offensive side for Seattle Taylor when you look at what the Steelers defense presents what do you think what do you think it will for the Seahawks in order to beat the Steelers on the offensive side of the ball yeah again Controlling the ball, right? It's going to start with Alex Collins in this run game. Can they keep that clock running? But to me, I think the difference is going to be, can they get the tight ends involved finally, right? Can they find that group on the field? Those big pass catchers, the solid check down guys, the safety blankets of this offense. Can Geno Smith rely and not only rely, but utilize some of those tight ends in this offense? 
They're going to run the ball. Look, they have Collins. We know he's not Chris Carson, but we know he is a very suitable backup running back. We know what this offensive line can do. We've seen the good and the bad from them both this season. So to me, and we know DK, Tyler, look, they're, they're superstars. They're, they're one of the best duos. So getting Gerald Everett, Will Disley, getting those guys involved, finding a way to get the big safety blankets uh, as a part of this offense, not just the checkdowns, I think will be a big help to this team. Yeah, and as we saw on Thursday Night Football, Look, Geno Smith running this offense now is a very small sample size, and Pittsburgh will have an entire week to prepare for Geno and and what he can do behind this Seahawks offensive line and running the Seahawks offense. The Rams, obviously, we're not expecting to see Geno Smith at any point on Thursday Night Football, but because Russin broke his finger, essentially, Geno pressed into duty. The Rams not really anticipating what Geno could offer. You've got a week now for Pittsburgh to prepare against the Seahawks offense. I, I will be very interested to see how Geno can do. And and look, the Seahawks, I, I would say they're confident in Geno, but also they have, you know, they've they've made themselves some uh, some pull lever in case of emergency outs. If things don't go well with Geno, you've got Jake Luton as the backup this week who has starting experience in the NFL. He threw, I believe, over 100 pass attempts last year for Jacksonville. Uh, they brought in Blake Bortles for a workout this week. I don't think that amounted to anything, but who's to say there won't be anything else there? So, look, the Seahawks, are they, they say they are all behind Geno, and I think Geno is probably, in terms of backup quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the 10 to 15 or so that can get you a win. Now, can he get you multiple wins remains to be seen, but just if the Seahawks can manage to get one to two wins over this three game stretch that we're kind of anticipating Russell Wilson to miss, maybe there is room for Seattle to turn it on in the second half of the season and get into the playoffs because Look, I, I think this stretch of the schedule is is going to tell the entire story of the season. If they go zero and three here, I think you can kiss any sort of shot at the playoffs goodbye because you'd be looking at what a two and six record at basically the midpoint of the season. Tough sledding, especially looking at the second half of this season uh, coming out of the bye week at Green Bay. You've got the Forty ers following that up. Uh, you've got the Cardinals in there as well. I mean, it does not get any easier after the bye. Uh, this this stretch will tell the story of where this Seahawks season goes. And, uh, you know, you hope that they can weather this storm. Now, Pittsburgh, not exactly the toughest team in the league to be facing right now. So hopefully there is a little bit of room to uh, maneuver on Sunday night. Yeah, and I mean, look, it starts with one win, right? You got to win this one against Pittsburgh. This one feels winnable. And then you get into the Saints matchup next week, which, again, it's a team in flux. It's a very winnable game. And then you get Jacksonville. And, I mean, they've been playing by the rules. So, look, you can take it to the limit against that team. (laughs) So, to me, they could theoretically have three winnable games in front of them. Now, like you said, it's whether or not Geno can go out there and execute on some of these things. And manage this game. And, and and the Seahawks defense is going to be leaned upon in these three games. But, again, you have an injured Big Ben. 
You have Jameis Winston. He's out here biting his hand. And then you have Jacksonville, who, again, they've just been, you know, taking it to the limit. So uh, <laughs> you got to you just got to win the game in front of you. You start with Pittsburgh and then you focus on New Orleans. And it feels like that's how this team's approaching it with Geno behind center. So it feels like this team is doing the best to set themselves up for success. Whether or not they capitalize on it, we'll find out tomorrow night. Yeah, if you win if you win these three games, I mean you're gonna be comfortable like you're in a beach house. Well actually not on the beach, a few miles down from the beach. A few miles from uh, the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's a beach house nonetheless. Coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we want your shout outs. Text those in to the Mac and Jacks text line two oh six four two one three seven seven six. And oh by the way, if you have missed any part of today's show or any hour of any show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com is the place you want to go if you want to download any sort of podcast. You can also download it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Your shout-outs and ours coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Make sure you're keeping it locked here on 710 ESPN Seattle. 2.30 is when pregame for the Cougs gets underway. You hear from Matt Chaz and now Alex Brink, our friend Jessamyn McIntyre. Uh, you've also got Cougs taking on Stanford, which starts at 4.30 is when that kickoff happens. So plenty still in store for you here on 710 ESPN Seattle this afternoon. Uh, but now has come the time of the show, as we do each and every week. It's time for our shout-outs here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Text yours in to the Mac and Jacks text line, 206-421-3776. Taylor, are you seeing any out there that have caught your eye here to lead us off? Well, just the one from the 425. Uh, Shout-out to the Kraken fan who was willing to fight for this team game, too. And, uh, yeah, definitely a big shout-out to that guy in Nashville willing to throw some fisticuffs over the old uh, Seattle Kraken franchise of uh, its young infancy. So, uh, yeah, if you're already down to scrap, like, shout-out to you. Yeah, game two, like, what do you even say in terms of trash talk to a Kraken fan? There's no history to go off of. No, that's an artiste, Curtis. That guy, he gets it. He understands what it takes to get inside a predator's mind, literally and figuratively. Yeah, boy. And then just not only he was taking on like multiple Predators fans, too, at the oh, yeah. <laughs> during that game. And uh, look, the greatest trash talk is the scoreboard. And the Kraken came away with the victory in game two of their season. Shout out to uh, Kraken fans worldwide. And uh, I mean, just shout out to the entire Kraken organization. I mean, that is just an unbelievable thing that they've got going right now. And, and we're we're riding that wave and we're going to continue to ride that wave for uh, years and years and years to come here in Seattle. Uh, two, five, three, they want to shout out Mitch Hanniger for writing that piece in the players tribune this week. Look that, that I would say that took some courage to write because putting yourself out there like that, going into a contract year, sort of holding your organization's feet to the fire, that, is something that we rarely see out of baseball players and let alone Seattle Mariners players. 
Uh, Mitch Haniger taking it upon himself to really just keep that organization accountable. Yeah, I, I have to echo your words there, 253. Just a, a really important thing that Mitch Haniger said this week in the Players' Tribune, sort of imploring the front office to spend this offseason. Yeah, and as the wise words from the great movie, Remember the Titans, attitude reflects leadership. And this is the attitude of Mitch Haniger. This is the leadership you're going to get from him in this in this clubhouse on this team going forward and that's what you want to see that's what you want to hear as a fan as a team who just missed the playoffs who has missed the playoffs for 20 plus years this is what you want to hear from the captain if the and we've been talking hockey and shout out to the kraken 253 shout out the kraken iceplex so shout out to that uh but if we were giving out c's like in hockey for the captains because that's an important part of hockey uh, Mitch has got the C on his chest right now, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, yeah, major shout out to that article. He didn't have to write it. He didn't have to say any of those things. And yet he did. He did. He definitely did. Uh, my shout out this week, there was a, a very unfortunate story that came out of the NFL world and it has to do with John Gruden and the emails that he sent a decade ago, uh, half a decade ago, 2011, 2015, where he used misogynistic language, racist language, sexist language, uh, homophobic language. I mean, just anything that you could have thought of that's bad was in those emails that John Gruden sent. And there was one person in the NFL world this week that I think got it absolutely 100% right in their response to Gruden and into the response that we've seen across the football world. And that would be Chargers head coach Brandon Staley, who is very new on the scene in the NFL. Last year was his first year as defensive coordinator of the Rams. He parlayed that into a head coaching job with the Chargers. So I think he's still very much unknown to a lot of football fans, but I think he made himself known this week in his response. And it was important, the words that he said, because he shifted the focus on or from John Gruden and somebody that got fired for what he said to the people that were addressed in those emails, people that don't necessarily have it as easy as others in this country. Um, I thought it was beautifully said by Brandon Staley, where he said, I'm thinking about the people that were mentioned in those emails rather than John Gruden here, because they're the ones that are hurting, especially so this week. I think of Carl Nassib, the Raiders defensive lineman who a few months ago made history in the NFL by becoming the first openly gay active player in the league. That took a tremendous amount of courage on his part to come forward like that and to put himself out there. And for him to find out this week that his head coach or his former head coach, I should say, felt the way he did about those who are gay and who are lesbian and in the LGBTQ community. You, you feel for people like him, you feel for minorities who were, you know, the butt of jokes in Gruden's emails. Uh, you feel for the women uh, of the Washington football team organization that were uh, victims here as well. When they're, uh, you know, photos were sent to other people in the league without their consent. Uh, I thought Brandon Staley 
was perfect in shifting our focus to the real victims here. And it's not John Gruden as much as it is the people that uh, are, are hurting the most after what we read this week. Well said. Couldn't agree more with his statements, with what you just said there, Curtis. And yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, it, it took this to sort of get this sort of reaction from some of the players in the league too. And um, look, now is the opportunity to grow and to learn from these terrible mistakes that were made by John Gruden and hopefully to, to become better and to be better advocates in their communities, whatever community that may be. Um, hopefully this opens the door for some good opportunity to, to grow and to be better from this. So that's what you can hope for in the, in the bad, but uh, some, some good things, some more texts coming in here on the tech, the Mac and Jack's text line, 206-421-3776. Shout out the hockey announcers for being respectful of explanations to new hockey fans, which I think yeah. is a big one. And they've done a great job so far. Uh, I think the game is on ESPN today, so you should have a nice, fun, uh, a fun ride again on the broadcast there. And then two five three, shout out Geno Smith. Twelve stand with you. You got this. And that's sort of been the uh, the what we've heard from a lot of the Seahawks fans so far this week is that they stand behind Geno Smith, and there is that confidence in going up against the you know an injured Ben Roethlisberger or. He's always injured, but, uh, you know, a slower Ben Roethlisberger, an injured Steelers team. Uh, Yeah, he's got an opportunity to really sort of cement himself as a uh, cult hero in Seattle if he can string together some wins. But uh, my shout out, Curtis, and I saw you mentioned it last week. I did. uh, I I hate to steal your thunder that way, but no, that's okay. uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, we posted it, so it's public now. But uh, the biggest possible shout-out in the whole entire world to Molly Stout, my wife. Uh, we are expecting a child in January. We're very excited yeah. uh, to both be becoming parents for the first time. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, a really exciting time in, in our household, for our parents, for our families. Uh, super cool uh, to follow Curtis and Jake, who just became – I mean – Curtis just became a dad and Jake building on his family uh, to have you guys there to help me is going to be great. I'm thankful to all the listeners who have already texted in. Um, So yeah, thank, thank you to everyone for all your support. And we're really excited to, uh, to be joining the old parent club next year. Yeah, boy, I, I am so, so thrilled for you and Molly. Uh, Just having been on this, this ride of, of being a dad, uh, you know, when my wife was pregnant to when Willow was born five months ago, uh, man, you are in for just the ride of your lifetime. It is going to be the best feeling ever when you get to hold that baby for the first time. Uh, Taylor, I, I know speaking for Brenna, my wife and me, I mean, we are so thrilled for you guys. I know everybody at the station is super thrilled for you guys because uh, you and Molly are just incredible people. You're incredible friends, uh, and you two deserve the absolute best. And this baby that you guys are going to be welcoming into the world here in a few months uh, is going to be the coolest kid around. Uh, we we know it to be true already, and, uh, yeah, we're super excited to meet uh your guys' new baby, and uh, man, I'm just so, so pumped and, and thrilled for you guys, and uh, it, it's so cool to watch you guys go on this journey here. 
Thank you. And I got to and also shout out building on top of that. All the women who have been pregnant, who have given birth. I mean, I have just been watching and supporting Molly this entire time. And she's been nothing short of spectacular and amazing. And all these women who, who put their bodies and go through all of this. And, it, and it's tough and it can be tough on you physically and mentally. And, you know, to all the people who are there and um and supportive of their spouses who are, who are going through that. And, uh, they just, it, it truly is a miracle and the miracle of life. And, uh, I'm really thankful to be sharing that with Molly and, uh, joining that parent club. Like I said, next, next, uh, next year, we could not end this show on a better note and, uh, we'll leave you with that. So shout out to Taylor and Molly as they welcome their baby coming up here in the next few months. That's going to do it for us here on this Saturday. Cougs taking on Stanford pregame show starts at two 30 kickoff is at four 30. We will be back with you in two weeks as we're preempted by Cougar football next week for Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is 710 ESPN Seattle.